And this morning we are going to be bringing forth a special message in the wake of some of the events that have taken place recently, entitled, When God Gives Up. On January 22nd of 2019, the governor of New York signed an extraordinary bill into law. A bill that redefined and solidified the right to abortion in the state, even if Roe versus Way is reversed in the Supreme Court. In the wake of the signing of this bill, we have seen one liberal governor after another trying to sign similar bills into law, further solidifying the right to abort a child, to murder a child, even up to the time of their birth. If that wasn't horrific enough, we are going to show you a clip of that signing. I want you to watch it. It's only a minute and so long. Because what happens at the end, I believe, is more horrific than even the bill being signed. And I will explain why this morning, as we continue on looking at our topic, When God Gives Up. Let's take a look at this video. Well, the bill was called the Reproductive Health Act. This bill allowed for abortions to happen through the 24th week, well into the third trimester. The bill further allowed that not only doctors, but non-doctors, such as nurses and midwives, would also be allowed to perform abortions. And within the bill, it also further complicated the prosecution of individuals who by domestic violence hurt the mother and possibly wound or kill the child within the womb. And yet, at the end of this bill, they stood up in an arousing applause. This bill and the radical ideas that it carries is only paralleled by three other countries within the world. Canada, China, and North Korea. And they stood up and they applauded for its signing. They joked about the pens. I wish the pens wouldn't have worked and the hand of God would have written on the wall behind him. I have often wondered, after that day in 1973 when Roe v. Wade was passed, if those Supreme Court officials ever thought that the legislation in which they brought about into law would be the sole responsibility 
to the murder of 61 million children here in the United States of America. Since 1980, 1.5 billion infants have been slaughtered around the world. It is time that we use the word emphasize, isn't it? To really demonstrate and to showcase what is taking place here. And if that wasn't bad enough, they will come back and say, well, in cases of rape and incense, in cases of rape, they have now determined that 0.03%, 18,000 abortions out of the 61 million are due to rape. The same is true for incest. For the mother's well-being, they believe that about 488,000 abortions were performed to save the mother's life. That certainly is not 61 million, is it? And that number goes up each and every day. On the weekend of the memorial of the Holocaust, where men and women, families alike around the world remembered the horrific nature of the Holocaust, nine million people slaughtered at the hands of the Nazis. On that very same weekend, the religious, some religious leaders in New York City went and blessed abortion clinics. And this is only portion of the trouble that we are seeing in our country, aren't we? Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. If that wasn't enough... Over the last five years, we have seen the audacity of the American people in their attempt to try to redefine marriage for our society. A covenant in which God established from the very beginning, man with a woman, a woman with a man, those two shall become one, leaving mother and father and starting their own family. God's design, once again challenged by the arrogance and the pride of man. Believing that homosexual and lesbian marriages can be as nurturing as a marriage that God has designed between a husband and wife. Further confusion has now been introduced into our nation due to the fact of gender identity. Where individuals are now questioning their gender not based upon their anatomy, of course, but based upon their feeling determination. And even when the American Society of Pediatrics and the John Hopkins uh, Pediatric Department state openly that gender identity is not a physiological issue, but it is an ideological issue of the mind, they are rejected when competent individuals such as Ben Carson clearly demonstrate through the DNA of an individual that we are created man and woman. I think God said that, didn't he? That I have created them man and woman. 
But actresses like Kate Hudson decide to take their moment of the limelight and stand there and tell the world that she has decided not to specifically identify the gender of her child until her child decides for herself or himself. I don't know about you, but when do you, when do you throw up your hands and say, what the heck is going on? This is craziness, right? And this is what's happening around our society today. When Israel came to one of the darkest places in their history, Isaiah the prophet spoke out in one of many woes of judgment towards them. And he says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And that's exactly what we're doing today, aren't we? And we know that Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, he says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. That's the ESV version The New King James, I think, has it even more specifically identified the Greek word perilous times, crazy times, chaotic times, times that just don't make sense to you. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, and proud and arrogant and abusive, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful and unholy. They will be heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power. And Paul says, avoid such people. What is going on? What are we seeing happening in our nation today? And notice with me that just after the taking of offices of many of these individuals that hold liberal progressive ideas, notice how the bills that they are trying to pass one right after another is just another fragrant assault on God. But what is happening to our nation? Well, I think the Bible explains it. And I think that will demonstrates for you and I who want to try to understand the mindset a little bit more carefully and more detailed, I believe that Paul gives us the answer of what's happening to our nation in Romans chapter 1. The other day I was walking into Woodfield Mall, that gargantuan building in Schaumburg. And as I was walking into Woodfield Mall, there was a father holding his son by the hood of his jacket. And his son just, I don't know if he had Pop-Tarts for breakfast that morning, or Pop-Tarts and Mountain Dew, or Pop-Tarts, Mountain Dew, and Red Bull, okay? But that kid was just like, his little feet were like the Flintstone feet, you know, underneath the car. That was a cartoon, an old cartoon, if you guys don't remember. Hey, Flintstone. And they were just, and it was like a little circle, and the dad's just holding on. He says, don't run ahead of me. And the little kid's like, <laughs> you know, just sugared hide all up. And he is just revving that engine. Dad says, don't do it. 
don't run ahead of me. And the kid's you know, screaming and wants to be let go and so on and so forth. And finally said, the dad said, okay, I'm going to let you go. The kid, bam, the kid turns around looking at his dad like, I'm away from you. Boom, right into the directory sign at 100 miles an hour. Laying on the ground, you know, you know. <laughs> I walked up to him, and being the nice pastor I was, I said, kid, you should have listened to your dad. And I walked away. <laughs> Paul the Apostle says that there is a time when God gives up. That he allows us to go the way we are fighting him to go. And that is demonstrated for us in Romans chapter 1, if you turn there in your Bibles with me. After Paul the Apostle gives one of the greatest statements concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ in verses 16 and 17. The gospel of Jesus Christ, before it really truly uh, makes sense as good news, must be painted in the light of the bad news. That all who are apart from Christ are under the weight of the wrath of God. That is a reality that we all must accept. That the Bible clearly teaches us. And Paul explains the necessity of the wrath of God. He explains why God needs to pour it out upon people as uh, they refuse to acknowledge him as God. But let us notice together as we read through chapter 1, starting in verse 18 together, and I am going to show you where God gives up. Three times it is stated here clearly in Romans chapter 1 that God gives up. Now that might sound to you, well, God never gives up, and he's, his arms are never too short, his ears are never deaf, he can always reach out. Absolutely. But there's a, there is a point where God will give up. And like that dad who let go of that kid, and hopefully that kid learned a lesson. You know, I didn't look back to see the dad pick up the kid from the floor. I don't even know if the dad did. He probably just left him there, you know. Did the kid look to his dad and say, Dad, I'm so sorry for not listening to you. Or did he help the child up and then the kid kicks him in the shin and says, Why'd you let go of me? You know. We always want to blame somebody else, don't we? But Paul says that in the rejection of God, God gives up. And we're going to see that here in our text this morning. But let us begin in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed or uncovered. The wrath of God is the punishment of God. And this wrath is from heaven, and it is against all ungodliness, that is, those who live contrary to the uh, nature of God, who live in rebellion towards God, and unrighteousness, those who treat their fellow human beings in a sense of unjustness uh, or um, in a sense of error uh, and that of um, deception. And this wrath from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They are trying to suppress, that word suppress means crush the knowledge of God in which they do have through the revelation of God through his creation, which we'll read in just a moment. 
But they have chosen to suppress this knowledge. They have chosen to reject this knowledge. They have chosen to um, continue in unrighteousness that the conviction of the truth may be alleviated within their heart and mind. In verse 19, For what can be known of God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. The wrath of God is uncovered, revealed against all ungodliness and all righteousness of men. It is the correction before the setting straight of all things. It is the beginning process of bringing back everything into the order in which God originally created it at the moment that he said it was all good. It is this wrath, this punishment that comes against man who through unrighteousness suppressed the truth that has been shown to them. It is known about God. It is plain to them because God has shown it to them. One wrote, they said, he, Tom Constable, one of the leading professors at Dallas Theological Seminary wrote, he says, they suppress this truth by their wickedness. Whenever truth starts to exert itself and make them feel uneasy in their moral nature, they hold it down, they suppress it, he writes. Some drown its voice by rushing into immoralities. Others strangle the, the disturbing voice by argument and by denial. This voice that is plain to them. And why is it plain to them? Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his number one eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Underline that. They are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. In the wake of the rejection of God and the revelation in which he has given to show them that he exists, through creation, God says, you can, determine, you can see my eternal power, and my divine nature. Though creation itself isn't enough to bring person to saving faith in Jesus Christ, that is why the gospel is necessary. It is the furtherance of that revelation, more in special revelation. This is how one gets saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But to know the existence of God is determined by creation. Now we have distorted this by the theory of evolution. The theory of evolution today still uh, haunts individuals and tells them that there is no God and all things are by happy chance and uh, everything happened by you know, complete accident and so forth. That we are simply an evolutionary derivative of animals from the beginning until now and so forth. And this is a question, then why do when we act like animals has everyone been so surprised? But God said that I have created all things. 
His revelation, though in general, his general revelation is clear, number one. It's everyone can understand it, number two, Paul said. One has seen it, and it is limited, and it is meant to draw the person deeper and closer to God. As David looked up and he saw the incredible wonders of the heavens, and he goes, who are we, O God, that you, you are mindful of us as man? But as a result, they have yet chosen to suppress whatever knowledge they have of God in unrighteousness, trying to damper its conviction, trying to stifle its voice within their hearts and minds. Notice in, with verse 22 with me, they claim to be wise. Now wisdom biblically begins with the fear of God. If we take God out of the, the equation, we are simply then discussing man's wisdom. And if we are simply discussing man's wisdom, we have to understand that if it is wisdom apart from God, they are missing a huge component of the equation, aren't they? Now, they claim to be wise, but they simply have become fools. This is a, not meant to simply be a derogatory term or cutting them down. The word fool in the Greek language meant one who knows what's true but acts in contrary to it. They became foolish. This is similar to the Hebrew word that is used in the Psalms when it says, only the fool says in her heart, there is no God. They know that that's contrary to reality. But yet they determine and they are self-willed to believe that God does not exist. And of course they exchange, therefore, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Every individual has been created to worship. If we are not directing that worship towards God, that worship will be placed somewhere else. The greatest idol in the United States of America today is one's self. And if we do not surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ and therefore say it's not all about us any longer, but all about him, the chief recipient of our worship will be we ourselves in one way or another. And this has led to all kinds of difficulties within our society. Entitlement, relationship difficulties. You put two people together who both have um, determined self-will, self-interest in mind, and you're going to have very little compatibility in that relationship. They're constantly going to be disappointed because the other one is not fulfilling all of their personal wants and desires, are they? But in the Christian, I am to give you 100%, and you're to give me 100%. We're both receiving 100%. In my marriage, more specifically, I give my wife 100%, she gives me 100%, and we're both receiving 100%. But that is not found in this world around us. So they have chosen to worship other things. In the case of our contest, context historically, of course, it was pagan idols. In our context today, it's we ourselves. The recent of our worship is, is uh, irrelative. It doesn't matter. What does matter is the fact that we are not worshiping God for who he is. And as a result, now we come to verse 24. It is the first of the three statements where God gives up. 
And it is stated very clearly in verse 24, with, beginning with the word therefore, stating clearly that it is a conclusion statement based upon what he has just stated. As a result of them not acknowledging God, suppressing it in unrighteousness, and also claiming to be wise but becoming fools, they exchanged the glory of God for immorality, uh, of the immortal God and for the images that resemble mortal man. And therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. In the study of pagan religions during Second Temple Judaism, that is the time in which the Bible was written, often the most intimate acts were used as offerings and devotion and worship of pagan gods. Individuals who worship these pagan gods who may not want to display themselves physically in this manner, but were forced to because of the understanding that this is the manner in which these gods would be worshipped. He says to them, I have given them up to the lusts of their heart. The sin is already within them. And God says, since you are going to suppress me to the degree in which you have and the knowledge in which I have given you, I am now going to give you up. I'm going to let go of the hood of your coat. And I'm going to let you pursue the lusts of your heart. And here it is the issue of fornication. Sexual immorality. In the 1960s, here in the United States of America, there was the sexual revolution that is still playing out today. There are many Christian scholars who believe that it was one of the most devastating revolutions that our culture has ever experienced. Taking sex outside of the context in which God had designed and created it to be enjoyed, allowing for a looseness in which sex could be Um, experienced without conviction, without any kind of remorse, allowing a society to then elevate such pleasure to the point that we now see it is one of the most revered and sought out aspects of a person's life. Tell me a TV show or a movie that doesn't have graphic sexual content in it that has been created in the last three or four years. It is a highlight of our lives. It is the, an individual is often inspired to have these experiences because they believe that this is the ultimate form of pleasure in which one shall experience. However, though, if we notice in our society that even the word love has been redefined to simply an act of intimacy between two people physically... It truly and utterly destroys, not distorts, but just destroys the unconditional love that Jesus Christ shows us. For love shown through sexual intimacy in that manner is also very selfish in nature. When the love of God is completely selfless in nature. And as a result, today, we have a highly sexually charged 
environment in our culture, don't we? And this was a result. God says, fine. You want to suppress me? You want to take me out of all things? You want to take me out of the courthouses? You want to take me out of government? You want to take me out of the schools? You want to take me out of all of these places? You want to continue to suppress the knowledge and the revelation that I've given you through creation of my existence? Then fine, I'm going to give you over to these things. Now, the term giving over to these things is paralleled with the Old Testament concept of God giving the nation of Israel over into the hands of their enemies. The purpose was for judgment. The end goal, the objective, was for correction. If we were to have stopped at this point, I don't believe the, further, the next two instances would have occurred. If we would have seen the devastation of the sexual revolution and what it's doing to our society and so forth, and we would have repented as a nation, I wonder if God would have intervened and stopped. But we didn't. So it has led us to the next issue, which is sexual perversion. Notice with me in verse 26. The second point in which God gave them up. And again, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Then he uh, describes what those passions are. For their women exchanged the natural relationship for those who are contrary to nature. The men likewise give up the natural relation with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. The sexual revolution continued and now, of course, it manifests itself through homosexuality and lesbianism. Now, let's be honest. Homosexuality and lesbianism has been around since the very beginning of time. But it is a perversion of what God has designed, man and woman to be together physically and intimately. God says that I have given people up to these passions. I've allowed them. They've suppressed the knowledge of me, the revelation in which I've given in unrighteousness, and God says I've now given them up to these pleasures and these pursuits. The question that faces America today, are people born homosexual or lesbian? It is a highly debated subject. One of the things we have to distinguish is let us understand that each and every one of us are born in a fallen state, are we not? And before the interjection of redemption and the new birth through Jesus Christ, we all pursue the lusts of our flesh. But do I believe that one is born specifically, physiologically, homosexual or lesbian? No, I do not. I also believe that this is a choice. And it is a result of the dishonorable passions being displayed in the hearts of individuals. And as a result, it has become very controversial. Now, do I believe that individuals can have inclinations and They are tempted in these sexual desires. Absolutely, I do. But again, are we talking about one being born this way? And until the evidence is clearly shown to me, which I do not believe that they can do, my answer to that is no. 
And I know that's very offensive to many people. And I hope that they would take a look at the evidence before they just simply dismiss what I'm saying. Of course, this is the same as the transgender issue. We have been sold a lie that individuals have to be recognized in this way. President Trump has denied the transgender individual's admission into the armed forces. One of the reasons for that is because many of them were going to use the armed forces benefits to get their uh, gender reassignment a surgery at taxpayers' cost. Let us understand that there's a bigger picture here and that we need to have a discussion of these things. We need to be open and objective. We have raised feelings and opinions to the point and the pinnacle of absolute truth when they are not scientifically proven. And even when the scientific community comes out and says no, they say, you know, you're homophobic. You're intolerant. They're just saying, no, I do care for you. I understand the struggles you have. I understand the temptations that you have. I get it. But let's be honest about the evidence that we have. And I don't believe the evidence is there for the determination that people are born this way as they are born into nationalities. But Paul says here, that he gave them up. That is God to these dishonorable passion. Women exchanging the natural relationship, which is contrary to nature, meaning women with women, men with men, etc. And as a result, their due penalty. What is this due penalty? There are many who want to say that it is the, you know, the AIDS epidemic. But I believe that Paul here is speaking of the due penalty of judgment that is the eternal judgment that comes with these lifestyles. Let me explain. People want to say that the New Testament does not address homosexuality in a negative way. Let me read 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 11, and you decide for yourself. Or do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were you at some of you, I should say. But you were washed and you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. One of the teachings that I absolutely reject that is held by many Christians today, and I was surprised to discover how many, there are Christians who believe that homosexual and lesbians cannot ever be saved. I reject that. Christ can forgive any sin, and he can wash them clean of sin. I don't care what it is. The only thing that Christ cannot absolve is one who completely rejects Jesus Christ and then dies in their sins and trespasses. Paul went on to write in 1 Timothy 1, through, 1 8 through 11, excuse me, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, 
enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. Homosexuality is not a lifestyle in which God accepts and blesses. It is a sin before him and needs to be repented of. But if it would have stopped there, which it did not, Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 1, there is the third wave. And this is the one that really troubles me. You can say, wow, those first two didn't? Oh, yes, they do. But listen to this last one. My wife and I, we have what we call our couch talks every night. It's nothing personal or something I can't share with you. She sits on one, I sit on the other, and we talk for hours about different things. And I, I share with her, you know, things. She shares with me things. And I've been sharing with her now for about the last year and a half or so that I'm just not understanding the manner in which people are thinking anymore. I don't get it. I'm not judging or criticizing them. I'm not saying I'm better and they are worse. I'm not saying, I just, I don't understand. I I, I don't understand anymore where people are coming from. And as I prayed, God led me to these verses. And not all individuals are displayed in this way. And of course, Paul, in writing all of this, as he's talking about the de-evolution of man from God's perfect state, the inception of sin, and how sin has deteriorated things. And instead of us acting like God, we are acting like animals. But notice what Paul says here. In verse 28... It shows a digression of society, first sexual immorality, and then homosexuality and lesbianism. And then he goes on to verse 28. And since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, there's the third time it is stated, to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And the key is that word debased. What does it mean? And I've been doing hours of research on this word. It is a word that is used in the Bible and outside of the Bible, and it's often worthless, unfit, failed is a word that is used uh, in uh, conjunction with the Greek word behind this word debased. But in extra biblical literature, it also gives me hints and flavors of an insanity, a craziness, where, where things don't seem straight anymore, you know? You and him are looking at two different things and you're seeing one thing and they're seeing something completely other, completely differently and you wonder if you're looking at the same thing. Their whole perspective, their whole mindset has shifted in a way that's almost unrecognizable. And I said, oh, that's interesting, God, because I feel that that's what we've been seeing around us. Now notice verse 29 as he further goes on to explain this. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness that is in this debased state, of evil, of covetousness, of of malice. They are full of envy. And notice the next one, murder. It's this, they look at murder and they don't see it to be murder. What was that that we just watched? That's exactly it. They're seeing murder, but they don't recognize it to be murder. 
like the Germans. They didn't recognize that the slaughter of those Jewish people and others, who was Catholics and homosexuals and so forth, many people's lives were destroyed in the, in the, in the concentration camps. Murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, and insolent, haughty and boastful, inventor of evil things. This is interesting to me. The inventor of evil things is that they will find something that has been invented and find an evil purpose for it. The internet, I think, is one of the greatest inventions. I love the internet. But just as the internet can be used for good, it can surely be used for evil just as easily, isn't it? And people found a way to exploit a good thing that has been invented. Notice they were disobedient to parents and they're foolish, faithless and heartless and ruthless. And then we come to verse 32. This debased mind allows them to call evil good and good evil. This debased mind allows them to look at things such as murder and justify it away. But then in verse 32, though they know God's righteous decrees, they know what God wants, that those who practice such things deserve what? To die. They not only do them, that these people, the debased mind individual, but they give approval to those who practice them. And this is what Paul is saying. This is the, the de-evolution of man, the downfall of man, as we suppress the knowledge of God and his righteousness and unrighteousness, as we reject him, we are now seeing for ourselves what we have sown is now coming to pass of what we are reaping. How many children will be destroyed in the state of New York? Seven other states have followed suit. And of course, Virginia wanted to go one step further. We are dealing with a mindset here. What do we do? It's easy just to run for cover, right? It's easy just to throw up our hands and say, to hell with it all, and I mean that in a biblical, theological sense. I'm not cursing, right? But is that what God would have us to do? As I sought the Lord, because I didn't want this to just fall on an empty conclusion of simple academic stimulation or intellectualism, what do we do? And I believe that the Lord, through his word, and sitting at the quiet of his, at his feet, has revealed to me that it's time now to go on the offense. It's time that we take the battle to the real culprits behind it all. For Paul says we do not wrestle, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers that motivate and move people to do what they are doing. To take the battle to the ruler of this world who is killing and destroying and our children before us and our young adults and our older adults. Of course, we are also, you know, talking about euthanizing elderly people. And of course, 
abandoning all sanctity of life. It's time to go on the offense. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of what? And that's what we're facing. And Paul the Apostle said that we can gird ourselves with the armor of God, but if we do not accompany that armor with prayer, we are nothing. My wife and I have dedicated ourselves this year to take the battle to him on our knees. We're going to cry out for the unborn. We're going to cry out for those who are drowning in sin. We're going to ask the Lord to bring about revival in America and bring people back to Jesus Christ. He is the only answer for the, for the sin of the world. We're taking the battle to him, and I hope that you will join us. But be prepared. It's not going to be easy. Be prepared for the resistance and the opposition that will occur. Be prepared for the, for the um, onslaught of spiritual warfare. But you know what? We've already won. I don't fight for victory. I fight from victory. And me plus God is always a majority, isn't it? And though I understand that Satan is not someone to be toyed with, as long as I stand behind my dad, I don't care who he is. It's time now that we as Christians tactfully, respectfully speak up in the center squares of society, talking with people. Do you know that research has now confirmed that the millennial generation once explained the true essence of pro-life and pro-choice 100% go to pro-life? Let's talk to them. Now, the problem that we have is, yes, they are pro-life and they would welcome the abandonment of abortion, but they don't seem willing to fight for it. But again, I'm not talking about just abortion. I'm talking about those young adults that are taking their lives because they feel that there's no hope, there's no tomorrow, there's nothing more that the society has. No, God has a lot more. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for the adults that don't understand any longer where they fit in this whole demographic of society. Let us show them that it's only Christ that can set things right. Let's speak up. Let us not be ashamed. And these are the words that I want to close with this morning as we conclude our time together. And it's the words in which Paul began this section with. In verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and it is written that righteous shall live by faith. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cure to all sin and death, and all we need to do is share it and let the Spirit do His work through the Word of God, and let's take it back. Let's no farther. Let's, let's let the world not encroach any longer. Let us get out there and say something. Intact, in love, patiently, 
in kindness towards another individual that they may see Christ in us. For I believe that 2019 can be a time in which we pray and that we're going to get discouraged and we're going to see defeats and we're going to see setbacks. 2018 has been replete of those in the church, haven't they? Men of God falling one right after another. It's been very disheartening. But let us walk humbly before our God. Let us be men and women of the word, men and women of prayer. Let us take the fight to those principalities and power who by the name of Jesus must recoil. Because too many have died already. Too many have died already.